Welcome to Imaginately Podcast, where we share stories both old and new to transport and inspire you. I'm your host, R.K. Smith, and this season we're back with Princess Irene and Curdie in part two of George MacDonald's beloved series, The Princess and Curdie. So settle in and get cozy as your imagination takes flight. Chapter 11, Lena. Let's begin. It was Lena. All at once, Curdie recognized her, the frightful creature he had seen at the princess's. He dropped his pickaxe and held out his hand. She crept nearer and nearer and laid her chin in his palm, and he patted her ugly head. Then she crept away behind the tree and lay down, panting hard. Curdie did not much like the idea of her being behind him. Horrible as she was to look at, she seemed to his mind more horrible when he was not looking at her. But he remembered the child's hand and never thought of driving her away. Now and then he gave a glance behind him, and there she lay flat, with her eyes closed and her terrible teeth gleaming between her two huge forepaws. After his supper and his long day's journey, it was no wonder Curdie should now be sleepy. Since the sun had set, the air had been warm and pleasant. He lay down under the tree, closed his eyes, and thought to sleep. He found himself mistaken, however. But although he could not sleep, he was yet aware of resting delightfully. Presently he heard a sweet sound of singing, somewhere, such as he had never heard before, a singing as of curious birds far off, which drew nearer and nearer. At length he heard their wings, and, opening his eyes, saw a number of very large birds, as it seemed, alighting around him, still singing. It was strange to hear song from the throats of such big birds. And, still singing, with large and round, but not less bird-like voices, they began to weave a strange dance about him, moving their wings in time with their legs. But the dance seemed somewhat to be troubled and broken and to return upon itself in an eddy in place of sweeping smoothly on. And he soon learned, in the low, short growls behind him, the cause of the imperfection. They wanted to dance all around the tree, but Lena would not permit them to come on her side. Now, Curdie liked the birds and did not altogether like Lena, but neither nor both together made a reason for driving away the princess's creature. Doubtless, she had been the goblin's creature, but the last time he saw her was in the king's house and the dove tower and at the old princess's feet. So he left her to do as she would, and the dance of the birds continued only in a semicircle, troubled at the edges and returning upon itself. But their song and their motions, nevertheless, and the waving of their wings, began at length to make him very sleepy. All the time he had kept doubting whether they could really be birds, and the sleepier he got, the more he imagined them something else. But he suspected no harm. Suddenly, just as he was sinking beneath the waves of slumber, he awoke in fierce pain. The birds were upon him, all over him, and had begun to tear him with beaks and claws. He had but time, however, to feel that he could not move under their weight when they set up a hideous screaming and scattered like a cloud. Lena was among them, snapping and striking with her paws while her tail knocked them over and over. 
but they flew up, gathered, and descended on her in a swarm, perching upon every part of her body, so that he could see only a huge mishappen mass, which seemed to be rolling away into the darkness. He got up and tried to follow, but he could see nothing, and after wandering about hither and thither for some time, found himself again beside the hawthorn. He feared greatly that the birds had been too much for Lena, and had torn her to pieces. In a little while, however, she came limping back, and lay down in her old place. Curdie also lay down, but from the pain of his wounds there was no sleep for him. When the light came, he found his clothes a good deal torn and his skin as well, but gladly wondered why the wicked birds had not at once attacked his eyes. Then he turned looking for Lena. She rose and crept to him, but she was in far worse plight than he. Plucked and gashed and torn with the beaks and claws of the birds, especially about the bare part of her neck, so that she was pitiful to see. And those worst wounds she could not reach to lick. Oh, poor Lena, said Curdie. You got all those helping me. She wagged her tail and made it clear she understood him. Then it flashed upon Curdie's mind that perhaps this was the companion the princess had promised him. For the princess did so many things differently from what anybody looked for. Lena was no beauty, certainly, but already the first night she had saved his life. Come along, Lena, he said. We want water. She put her nose to the earth and after snuffing for a moment, darted off in a straight line. Curdie followed. The ground was so uneven that after losing sight of her many times, at last he seemed to have lost her altogether. In a few minutes, however, he came upon her waiting for him. Instantly, she darted off again. After he had lost and found her many times, he found her the last time lying beside a great stone. As soon as he came up, she began scratching at it with her paws. When he raised it an inch or two, she shoved in first her nose and then her teeth and lifted with all the might of her neck. When at length between them they got it up, there was a beautiful little well. He filled his cap with the clearest and sweetest water and drank. Then he gave to Lena and she drank plentifully. Next he washed her wounds very carefully. And as he did so, he noticed how much the bareness of her neck added to the strange repulsiveness of her appearance. Then he bethought him of the goatskin wallet his mother had given him, and, taking it from his shoulders, tried whether it would do to make a collar for the poor animal. He found there was just enough, and the hair so similar in color to Lena's, that no one could suspect it of having grown somewhere else. He took his knife, ripped up the seams of the wallet, and began tying the skin to her neck. It was plain she understood perfectly what he wished, for she endeavored to hold her neck conveniently, turning it this way and that while he contrived, with his rather scanty material, to make the collar fit. As his mother had taken care to provide him with needles and thread, he soon had a nice gorget ready for her. He laced it on with one of his boot laces, which its long hair covered. Poor Lena looked much better in it, nor could anyone have called it a piece of finery, if ever green eyes with a yellow light in them looked grateful, hers did. As they had no longer any bag to carry them in, Curdie and Lena now ate what was left of the provisions. Then they set out again upon their journey. For seven days it lasted. 
They met with various adventures, and in all of them, Lena proved so helpful and so ready to risk her life for the sake of her companion that Curdie grew not merely fond of her, but very trustful of her, and her ugliness, which at first only moved his pity, now actually increased his affection for her. One day, looking at her stretched on the grass before him, he said, "'Oh, Lena, if the princess would but burn you in her fire of roses!' She looked up at him, gave a mournful whine like a dog, and laid her head on his feet. What or how much he could not tell, but clearly she had gathered something from his words. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so glad we were able to imagine this story together. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on anything from Imaginately Podcast. And be sure to tell your friends so they can imagine with us too. Until next time, happy dreams, whether by day or night. Hey friend, R.K. Smith here, Canadian author, editor, and storyteller. If you have a story idea you'd like to see on this podcast, go to rksmith.ca and send me a message. I'd love to hear from you and want to share the stories you want to hear with the world.